Ladies and gentlemen, the following segment of the podcast is presented exclusively by Hillsdale College. Now, in its 175th year, Hillsdale is a truly independent institution where learning is prized and intellectual enthusiasm is valued. Thank you for listening and my sincere appreciation to Hillsdale for their sponsorship. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Number is 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. This is our last week until I uh, take off for uh, two weeks in a row. And so I hope you'll stick with us this week. A lot's already happening. I happen to be a big fan of Bill Barr. It was just announced that he will be stepping down, I believe, on Christmas. This is the second time he's become Attorney General. And I think he's been a terrific Attorney General. I really do. People don't understand that an Attorney General cannot announce an ongoing investigation. If he does, he's committed a felony. He's obstructed justice. It's that simple. We may not want it that way, but it is that way. It is that way. So he was not going to reveal information that was going on in front of a grand jury. Because that would be a crime. And so he couldn't make an announcement. It is a problem. Maybe that law needs to be changed. The 6E law. Particularly as it relates to a presidential election. But Barr couldn't change it. And I think he fought hard for justice. I think he fought hard for the rule of law. And I think he fought hard for the president, which are the requirements of an attorney general. When you compare his tenure to Jeff Sessions, you can understand what I mean. The way he confronted Mueller in the Mueller report. And what they tried to do to Bill Barr, including hold him in contempt. You remember that hearing in front of the House Judiciary Committee, remember? So I will not be counted among those who trash Attorney General Barr. I happen to think he did a fantastic job. 
And there's few others who could have withstood the attacks that he did, just like the president. There's few others that could withstand the attacks against him. And I'm going to read you a letter that Attorney General Barr submitted to the President of the United States, and you'll see what a class act he is, as is the President. And of course, the media, anonymous sources, was talking about how they hate each other. Clearly, they don't. The President issued a very positive tweet, about 30 minutes or so, give or take, and he also attached the Attorney General's letter. And when I've seen these two men together, just so you know, and I have on several occasions, they seem to truly like each other and respect each other. And I also happen to know that Bill Barr decided to come back into the Justice Department a second time as Attorney General because he was very concerned about the way the President and the administration was being treated. He's a very wealthy man. He didn't have to come back and deal with any of this, but he chose to. So put the spin doctors away, put the anonymous sources away. I want to read you the letter from the Attorney General to the President. Dear Mr. President, I appreciate the opportunity to update you this afternoon on the Department's review of voter fraud allegations in the 2020 election and how these allegations will continue to be pursued. At a time when the country is so deeply divided, it is incumbent on all levels of government and all agencies acting within their purview to do all we can to assure the integrity of elections and promote public confidence in their outcome. I am greatly honored that you called on me to serve your administration and the American people once again as Attorney General. I am proud to have played a role in the many successes and unprecedented achievements you have delivered for the American people. Your record is all the more historic because you accomplished it in the face of relentless, implacable resistance. Your 2016 victory speech in which you reached out to your opponents and called for working together for the benefit of the American people was immediately met by a partisan onslaught against you in which no tactic, no matter how abusive and deceitful, was out of bounds. The nadir of this campaign was the effort to cripple, if not oust your administration, with frenzied and baseless accusations of collusion with Russia. Few could have weathered these (coughs) attacks, much less forge ahead with a positive program for the country. You built the strongest and most resilient economy in American history, one that has brought unprecedented progress to those previously left out. You have restored American military strength. By brokering historic peace deals in the Middle East, you have achieved what most thought impossible. You have curbed illegal immigration and enhanced the security of our nation's borders. You have advanced the rule of law by appointing a record number of judges committed to constitutional principles. And with Operation Warp Speed, you delivered a vaccine for coronavirus on a schedule no one thought conceivable, a feat that will undoubtedly save millions of lives. During your administration, the Department of Justice has worked tirelessly to protect the public from violent crime, work closely with leaders in Mexico to fight the drug cartels, crack down on China's exploitation of our economy and workers, defended competition in the marketplace, especially the technology sector, and supported the men and women of law enforcement who selflessly and often thanklessly, risk their lives to keep our communities safe. As discussed, I will spend the next week wrapping up a few remaining matters important to the administration and depart on December 23rd. Wishing you, Melania, and your family a Merry Christmas and a blessed holiday season. God bless. Sincerely, William P. Barr. What a class act. And I, for one, am thankful he was the Attorney General for the remaining years 
the president's at least first term. Yeah, he was a class act, and he is a class act. And uh, I consider him a friend, even though we're not bosom buddies. I consider him a friend, and I admire him a great deal. And so that is that. And by the way, because of that letter, he will now be attacked by the media. He will now be attacked by the pseudo-conservatives. He will now be attacked by the never-Trumpers. He could have done what the others do, Mattis and Kelly and Bolton and so forth, and started trashing the president of the United States. He didn't do any of that. Because he's a class act. He understands the problems going on in this country. I'm going to read something to you. I went on the website of the National Archives. Now, why does that matter? Because the National Archives is involved in the electoral college process. Did you know that? The archivist of the United States collects the electors' votes. And then he or she turns those votes over a joint session of Congress. Here's the process that not a single newsroom has shared with you. December 8, which has passed, of course, states are typically resolving controversies. They make final decisions over the appointment of their electors six days before the meeting of the electors, and so the electoral votes will be presumed valid when presented to Congress. This is why you saw these lawsuits, and it was absolutely unconscionable, and I'm going to get into this deeply today, for these courts to do what they did dismiss one after another, particularly the constitutional challenges, and that's what I'm going to focus on. December 14th, today, the electors meet in their respective states and vote for president or vice president on separate ballots. The electors record their votes on six certificates of vote, which are paired with the six remaining certificates of ascertainment. The electors sign, seal, and certify six sets of electoral votes. A set of electoral votes consists of one certificate of ascertainment and one certificate of vote. That's in the weeds, I'm just telling you. December 23, electoral votes arrive. Electoral votes, called the certificates of vote, must be received by the president of the Senate and the archivist no later than nine days after the meeting of the electors. If votes are lost or delayed, the archivist may take extraordinary measures to retrieve duplicate originals. On or before January 3, 2021, the archivist transfers certificates to Congress. As the new Congress assembles on January 3rd, the archivist transmits sets of certificates to Congress. This generally happens when the Senate does not receive its set of certificates on time. Now here's the key date. January 6th is the key date. Not today. And you're not going to hear this anywhere else. I'm not trying to give you false hope. I'm not trying to give you anything. Here's the fact. Congress meets in joint session to count the electoral votes. The vice president, as president of the Senate, presides over the count and announces the results of the electoral college vote. The president of the Senate, who is the vice president, then declares which persons, if any, have been elected president and vice president of the United States. If any objections to the electoral votes are made, they must be submitted in writing and be signed by at least one member of the House and one senator. If objections are presented, the House and Senate withdraw to the respective chambers to consider the merits of the objections under procedures set out by federal law. 
If no presidential candidate wins at least 270 electoral votes, a majority of the 538, under the 12th Amendment to the Constitution, the House of Representatives decides the presidential election. If necessary, the House would elect the president by majority vote, choosing from among three candidates who receive the greatest number of electoral votes. The vote would be taken by the the, uh, state, which each state having one vote. So in other words, what would happen in the House is each delegation gets one vote. The point being there's a majority of Republican delegations. If no vice presidential candidate wins at least 270 electoral votes under the 12th Amendment, the Senate elects the vice president. If necessary, the Senate would elect the vice president by majority vote, each senator having one vote. Now, as this process goes on, it does become harder and harder and harder to reverse course. But the final step is on January 6th. January 6th. Now, Pennsylvania and Georgia, the Republicans in those states have set, have sent alternative votes or are, to the archivist of the United States. The Democrat electors have met, and they have voted that Joe Biden won their electoral votes. And that will be sent to the archivist of the United States. However, the Republican Party electors have decided at the request of the White House that they're going to send their votes and their electors also to the archivist of the United States. So now you have a set of electors sent by Pennsylvania from the Republicans and a set of electors sent by Georgia. The Michigan Republicans were going to do exactly the same thing, but the fascistic governor there literally had state troopers block the legislative entry so the electors couldn't meet the Republican electors to send their electors to the archivist. I suppose they could meet somewhere else. So she wants to decide the whole thing rather than Congress. I want to take you back to a little history lesson. 1960. I'm telling you, that's why I'm telling you, you should listen to this, because you're not going to hear it anywhere else. You're just going to hear the same... New states' electoral votes went to Nixon first and then to Kennedy. This is a piece, November 18, 2000. 2000 in the Honolulu Star Bulletin editorial. The 1960 race here in the islands, the first election Hawaii faced as a state, made electoral college history. When Hawaii elected one president, then reversed itself during a bitter recount, forcing two different sets of electoral delegates to cast votes. In 1960, the electoral college consisted of 537 members, of which Hawaii had three. The majority to win then was 269. The initial results of the November 8 election showed Vice President Richard Nixon with 141 votes ahead of John Kennedy in Hawaii. 141 votes. And so the new state's three electoral votes were officially cast with Nixon. But the Democrats didn't give up. The Hawaii vote was so close that a recount was inevitable. Both parties made charges of voter fraud, although a court investigation later showed no evidence of tampering. Electors nationwide were scheduled to cast their ballots on December 19 that year, but the Hawaii recount was still underway when that date approached. 
Hawaii's Republican electors cast votes that day for Nixon. And one minute later, Democratic electors cast their three votes for Kennedy. Although the Hawaii Attorney General's office declared that the only official electoral votes would go to Nixon, and that the Hawaii recount itself would need a recount if results show Kennedy ahead, Governor William Quinn, a Republican, notified Congress that Hawaii's votes were Republican. The recount was completed by Christmas, December 25th, and showed Kennedy carrying Hawaii by 115 votes. Notice how they always find votes. The circuit court ruled that Hawaii's three electoral votes should go to the Democrats, but the governor's office waffled on making the notification. By the time it was decided a new certificate was necessary, only two days remained before Congress convening on January 6th. A letter to Congress saying a certificate was on the way. It arrived. Both sets of electors were sent. And they chose the Kennedy electors. I'll explain more about this when I return. in. I know you love freedom. How do I know that? Because you listen to my show. And my show and everything I do is all about preserving freedom and the form of government that secures it for us. It's the same with Hillsdale College, one of the very best truly liberal arts colleges in the nation. That's why I talk about them all the time, because Hillsdale is committed to pursuing truth and defending liberty. Hillsdale teaches stellar students to defend freedom, no matter what they major in, whether it's science or music or economics or business, whatever. Hillsdale teaches them how to defend liberty, and they do that for you, too, through their free monthly digest of constitutional thought. It's called Imprimus. 5.6 million Americans receive Imprimus for free each month, and you, my friend and fellow freedom lover, should be reading it, too. You can subscribe for free at levinforhillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. No strings attached. Generous donors who want to preserve freedom for future generations make it possible for all of us. And for Hillsdale to send in Primus to you for no cost every month. Start receiving and reading in Primus so you can know how to defend the freedom you love. Visit levinforhillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. levinforhillsdale.com. You're listening to the best of the Mark Levin Show. Happy New Year. When we come back, I want to talk about the grave, and I mean grave, failures of the United States Supreme Courts and our judiciary. How they let down the American people. How they undermined a very simple clause of the United States Constitution. Whether it's Pennsylvania or Georgia or Michigan or a number of other states that unconstitutionally change their voting requirements and their election rules. The U.S. Supreme Court refused to do its job and defend the United States Constitution. And I want to delve into this in more detail when we return. I know you love freedom. How do I know that? Because you listen to my show. And my show and everything I do is all about preserving freedom and the form of government that secures it for us. It's the same with Hillsdale College, one of the very best truly liberal arts colleges in the nation. 
That's why I talk about them all the time, because Hillsdale is committed to pursuing truth and defending liberty. Hillsdale teaches stellar students to defend freedom, no matter what they major in, whether it's science or music or economics or business, whatever. Hillsdale teaches them how to defend liberty, and they do that for you, too, through their free monthly digest of constitutional thought. It's called Imprimus. 5.6 million Americans receive Imprimus for free each month, and you, my friend and fellow freedom lover, should be reading it, too. You can subscribe for free at levinforhillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. No strings attached. Generous donors who want to preserve freedom for future generations make it possible for all of us. And for Hillsdale to send in Primus to you for no cost every month. Start receiving and reading in Primus so you can know how to defend the freedom you love. Visit levinforhillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. levinforhillsdale.com. This is Mark Levin wishing you a happy new year. Now back to the best of me. Let's get down to business. Smartest audience of audiences anywhere. Probably know this by memory. Article 2 of your Constitution, Section section 1, Clause 2. It's in plain English, so even John Roberts and Sotomayor and Breyer... Kagan and the others can understand it. I don't know how much more clearly the framers of the Constitution could have been. Each state shall appoint in such manner as the legislature thereof may direct a number of electors equal to the whole number of senators and representatives to which the state may be entitled in the Congress. So you add up the number of senators and members of the House for purposes of the Electoral College That's how many votes they have. Now, what is the purpose of the Electoral College? Does anybody know? Yes, we know. They will count the votes. They will determine if the votes are proper. That is Congress. And then they will confirm or not the President and Vice President of the United States. What is perplexing to me is the incoherence and intentional misleading, perhaps, of we the people by they the media, by rhinos, by Democrats, and all the rest of the reprobates. There's an electoral college for a reason. Jake Tapper won't understand this. In fact, I don't think virtually anybody in newsrooms understand this or care to understand it. Our presidents are not chosen by the popular vote. They're chosen by an electoral college, and then they're checked by the new Congress. There was a great fear early in our republic about two kinds of tyranny, the mob and the monarchy. The mob, pure democracy, the monarchy, centralized iron-fisted government. The framers of the Constitution were enlightened men. And they debated hard how this Constitution should be constructed. This Electoral College was one of the issues that took up most of their time. That in the office of the presidency. 
the nature of the judiciary in the Supreme Court took up almost none of their time because they figured they figured it wouldn't figure that big into our system, but it has, of course. The Democrats have made it clear they want to remove the Electoral College. Short of removing it, that is, short of getting an amendment to remove it, they are destroying it, state by state. But in order to destroy it state by state, you've got to get around the state legislatures. This past election, in Pennsylvania, in Georgia, in Michigan, and in other key states, that's exactly what the Democrats did. How did they do it? They went into these states and they identified who their friends were and who their enemies were. Stacey Abrams in Georgia brings a lawsuit, as do a number of her surrogates. Not because they believe in good government, it's because they believe in the Democrat Party, so they try and change the rules to advantage them. Not to prevent fraud, but to enshrine it. Why in the world would you weaken the signature requirement in Georgia unless your purpose is to ensure that people vote who shouldn't be voting? So they institutionalized fraud. Votes that previously, that is, before the consent decree, would have been cast the way they were cast after the consent decree, would have been fraud. They would have been rejected. This election they recounted. This is why the President of the United States is so furious with the governor of Georgia, who can call an emergency session, bring in the Republican legislature, and put that requirement back that Stacey Abrams and the Secretary of State removed unconstitutionally. And there's not a damn court in the country that wants to hear that case. Not one. Why? Pennsylvania was even worse. Putting aside the unbelievable violations of their own state constitution by the state legislature, failing to amend their constitution for the mail-in vote, putting that aside as a secondary issue at this point, for the argument I'm making, the governor, the secretary of state, and the Democrats on the Supreme Court of Pennsylvania elected Change the election laws. Are any of them part of the legislature? Not one of them. They eliminated signatures. They eliminated signature comparisons. They eliminated postal dates. They extended the voting time and more. They eliminated effectively the ability of Republicans to observe counts in Philadelphia and Pittsburgh. Philadelphia being one of the most corrupt cities on the face of the earth. Why did they do that? Because they wanted, they wanted ballots to be counted that previously were not counted. But they clearly violated Article 2, Section 1, Clause 2 of the United States Constitution. That's two states. Same things happened in Michigan and other states. And the United States Supreme Court would not take it up. They wouldn't take it up. Each state shall appoint in such manner as the legislature thereof may direct. The legislature sets the election laws. The legislature, and only, solely, unequivocally, the legislature determines how elections are to be held. 
The legislature determines how electors are to be chosen, even whether there's an election or not. The legislature decides, but no longer. No longer. By not acting, the United States Supreme Court acted. By counting the electors that the Democrats are presenting as part of the Electoral College, the Archivist of the United States, and the Congress of the United States on January 6th, there no longer is an Article 2, Section 1, Clause 2 of the Constitution. The Supreme Court just eliminated it because of the Democrats. They eliminated it in Pennsylvania. They eliminated it in Georgia. They eliminated it in Michigan. They eliminated it in Nevada and Arizona and Wisconsin. Because they don't want to disenfranchise people. Those votes were illegal and unconstitutional until these so-called public officials took their unconstitutional actions. So now they're counted and now we can't disenfranchise votes that months ago would never have been counted. No, by all means. And then we play this game. Fraud. Let's find the fraud. Now there's tons of fraud out there. But this case was presented to the United States Supreme Court. A straightforward, flat-out, federal constitutional question, federal constitutional case. And they wouldn't take it. They wouldn't take it. A friend of mine, as I was walking, Marty, our dog, comes up to me. He's not a lawyer. He says, what's the point of a Supreme Court if they can't even stand up to this? And we know this court and the other courts, for instance, we have these judges, including on the Supreme Court and elsewhere, they take illegal, unconstitutional acts like DACA that was created by Obama, clearly illegally, writing legislation from the Oval Office and through his agencies. They come up with a cockamamie argument thanks to the Chief Justice of the United States, about the Administrative Procedures Act. Now we have a federal judge that directs the President of the United States to institute DACA, directing the President of the United States to institute an unconstitutional act that was never passed by Congress. That's okay. Massachusetts versus EPA, as I talked about, when was that, 2005 or 6 or 7? There the Supreme Court gives standing to a state that has no standing. Because they like the outcome, five to four. They want carbon dioxide to be a pollutant. Even though any third grader that's taken a basic science class knows it's not. But it didn't matter. Standing was conferred on somebody that didn't have it. Texas brings a case, oh, you don't have standing. Even though specifically in the Constitution it says, when you have a conflict of the states, it's original jurisdiction. Well, not in this Supreme Court, it's not. You have repeated violations of Article 2, Section 1, Clause 2 of the United States Constitution that says only the state legislatures can, can make the law when it comes to elections and selecting electors. How many more briefs does the damn Supreme Court need? But they ducked. And now you have 
the same disgusting, unconscionable, putrid left-wing Democrats dressed up as journalists going on and on about how Trump is a poor loser. He needs to, to quote the Al Gore, the big one, give up the ghost. We have legal analysts at National Review and on TV digging into the, to the niceties of footnotes in the, in the litigation to show how smart they are when they don't even pick up the damn Constitution and read it. You know why the Supreme Court wouldn't take up this case? They didn't take up this case because three of the justices, make it four, including the Chief Justice of the United States, wanted the result. Roberts despises Trump. And the three Democrats on the court, they do whatever the hell they want and they pretend it's constitutional. Who else? Gorsuch is a gutless wonder. Kavanaugh, who you fought for, gutless wonder. Next election. What do you think the Democrats and the left are going to do in these states? This is now the new baseline. They're going to determine what they need to win the states, and they'll make the changes. And the Supreme Court's now created the precedent. Our doors are locked. They are locked. Don't you damn come here with an Article 2 claim. We want nothing to do with you. So one of the most vital aspects of our Republican system, which the framers of the Constitution spent days debating to protect the country from the mob and the monarchy, is gone. Thanks to the justices of the Supreme Court. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. I know you love freedom. How do I know that? Because you listen to my show. And my show and everything I do is all about preserving freedom and the form of government that secures it for us. It's the same with Hillsdale College, one of the very best truly liberal arts colleges in the nation. That's why I talk about them all the time, because Hillsdale is committed to pursuing truth and defending liberty. Hillsdale teaches stellar students to defend freedom, no matter what they major in, whether it's science or music or economics or business, whatever. Hillsdale teaches them how to defend liberty, and they do that for you, too, through their free monthly digest of constitutional thought. It's called Imprimus. 5.6 million Americans receive Imprimus for free each month, and you, my friend and fellow freedom lover, should be reading it, too. You can subscribe for free at levinforhillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. No strings attached. Generous donors who want to preserve freedom for future generations make it possible for all of us. And for Hillsdale to send in Primus to you for no cost every month. Start receiving and reading in Primus so you can know how to defend the freedom you love. Visit levinforhillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. levinforhillsdale.com. This is the best of the Mark Levin Show. Happy New Year. There's a great piece at the blaze by our friend Daniel Horowitz. We finally discovered an instance in which the courts will enforce requirements for standing and refuse to adjudicate broadly political questions. 
Now it's time for conservatives to treat every court decision that violates rules of standing and the principle of federalism as null and void. Will all these principled conservatives who are cheering the court's decision in Texas lawsuit stand with us in opposing judicial supremacism in all its forms? Recent years, the federal courts have waded into every political issue imaginable. They prevented states from enforcing federal immigration law, were not only greenlighting states to criminalize federal law, but preventing the federal government from cutting off funding to sanctuary cities. They have prevented states from defining marriage, upholding basic sexuality, or placing common-sense health regulations on abortion clinics. They have prevented states from cleaning out homeless encampments and from simply declining to fund castration surgery in prison or through Medicaid funding. They've also prevented states from requiring able-bodied Medicaid recipients to even attempt to seek employment. For a while, it appeared there was nothing a state or even the feds could do without a federal court violating the rules of standing to give some straw-man third-party organization, often on behalf of illegal aliens, standing to sue to overturn an outcome of a fundamentally political issue and decide it with finality. Those same courts have no problem when states thumb their noses at federal immigration law, or when they violate every individual right known to man in under the guise of fighting the coronavirus. In other words, these judges believe in states' rights when the outcome benefits the left, and they believe in a strong federal government with final court adjudication when it benefits the left. They believe in protecting rights, so-called, when they are invented, but not real rights spelled out in the Constitution. Heads the left wins, Tails, we lose. There's one problem. The only reason we are in the position we are today with a broken election system, full of mail-in ballots and ballot harvesting, is precisely because the federal courts officiously commandeered state election laws for the past generation. Yes, the federal courts have butted into every state decision on election law, except those interventions were okay because they benefited Democrats. Republicans have controlled many key state governments in Pennsylvania, North Carolina, Wisconsin, and Michigan from 2010 to 2018 and passed voter integrity laws or enforced existing ones during those years. Every step of the way, federal courts gave standing to strawman plaintiffs to block every election integrity measure imaginable. In fact, to this day, Democrats hold the governorship in North Carolina solely because of ballot harvesting that is prohibited under state law but forced upon them by the Federal Fourth Circuit Court of Appeals. To this day, photo ID is not required in North Carolina, despite conservatives working hard to enact it into law. The same Fourth Circuit gutted it. Democrats also hold two extra House seats, thanks to the Fourth Circuit destroying the election map. Likewise in Arizona, Republicans have controlled state government for as far as one can remember. But over the past generation, nearly every voter integrity law has been thrown out by the Ninth Federal Circuit, often in cases where the laws at issue were approved by ballot initiative with overwhelming support, and the Supreme Court has sided with the wayward lower court most of the time. Every time Arizona has tried to stem the tide of illegal aliens, the courts have come after the state. This has created a cascading effect of illegal aliens being able to remain in large urban areas and be counted in the census. Numerous pieces of federal legislation have been passed by a margin that is entirely garnered through counting of illegal aliens in the census. How is that lawful? The entire premise and precedent for the current electoral model that Democrats abused this year was created wholesale by the lower federal courts that the pathetic Supreme Court has failed to police. Specifically in this election, 
The League of Women Voters sued in federal court to have Pennsylvania's signature validation process on mail-in ballots countermanded. As a result of that federal lawsuit, the Pennsylvania Secretary of State made a settlement that unilaterally gutted state law, allowing hundreds of thousands of extra ballots to be counted without proper verification, which is likely why the rejection rate this year for mail-in ballots was implausibly low. Similar settlement resulting from a federal lawsuit took place in Georgia as well. As always, the federal courts tampered with every aspect of North Carolina's election process, but Doc Democrats came up slightly short, although suspiciously close. This brings us to the court, the Supreme Court. Notice a pattern here? There never seems to be a problem of federalism in Article Three standing when lower federal courts want to shred existing state law in order to benefit Democrats. Somehow the Supreme Court rarely reverses these opinions before elections. Then when we seek redress for the fallout that was largely enabled over the last 10 years, and during this particular election, from the federal judiciary's foray into state powers in the first place, we're told the Supreme Court wants to stay out. As we speak, a federal judge in Georgia is considering whether to add 200,000 voters to the Georgia voter rolls prior to the runoff. This isn't about Trump. It's not even about future elections. This is about a fundamentally rigged federal judiciary and political system. That is one rule of engagement that's consistent. Heads the Democrats win, tails the people lose. There's your damn courts and your damn Supreme Court. Of course, they're not political, ladies and gentlemen. No, 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 no. They don't want to get involved. From the Westwood One Podcast Network. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. You're listening to the best of the Mark Levin Show. Happy New Year. I hope you'll stick with me as I lace various issues together, any of which are really not top of news on cable and network news and other places, but it's very important. 120 years ago, the most powerful country on the face of the earth was Great Britain. It used to be said that the sun never set on the British Empire. Britain, even though it has nukes and is a wonderful country, is now a second-tier superpower. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to tell you something. This is going to upset you. It upsets me. And I think this is what is giving you sleepless nights and a lot of frustration, anger, and concern. I love this country, and you love this country. But I'm not going to be a Pollyanna. Because if we're Pollyannas and we're not serious, we're going to lose this country. America is beginning a decline in so many respects. America is beginning a decline. The greater power the Democrat Party and the left get, the greater and the faster the decline. You've heard me talk here many times and on Levin TV many times about a two-front war that we're fighting now. The war internally in the United States 
and with China, effectively. China's on the ascendancy. We've talked about this many times over the years. We're in a descendancy. Now let's start with the basics. The hostility towards our economic system has reached a fever pitch. Our economic system, not government, not redistribution of wealth, not taxation, not regulation, not bureaucracies, our economic system has created the greatest amount of wealth for the greatest number of people of any economic system ever devised by man. You know why? Because nobody devised free markets and capitalism. It just happened. It's natural. And why did it just happen? Why is it natural? Because it best reflects human nature. Human needs and wants. That's why private property rights and respect for people and their income and their success is so important. That's how we have economic progress. That's how you have growth. That's how you create opportunity and wealth for more people. Fewer and fewer people making decisions, making decisions about their own lives, not everybody else's life, as opposed to more and more centralized decisions being made by politicians and bureaucrats and people that really cannot possibly have all the knowledge they need to make these decisions and have almost no experience in that which they're regulating and taxing. And that kind of ignorance is what socialism and Marxism is based on. It's an abstraction, a deadly abstraction, an impoverishing abstraction. Our kids are not taught about capitalism in our schools. They're not taught about our economic system. They're taught to hate it. They're taught about Marxism, so-called progressivism, at every level of education. And what about our laws and our Constitution? Not only are they demeaned and disparaged in the classroom, they're demeaned and they're disparaged by judges, by politicians, by other public officials. You're seeing a level of lawlessness in Democrat-controlled cities and states that we've never seen before in the United States of America. Whether it's Democrat-controlled courts, legislatures, governors, they're exercising power now that a year ago, just a year ago, you would never have imagined. Ever. They're trouncing all over the Bill of Rights and even beyond the Bill of Rights. And their rules are nonsensical. They're cherry-picking who they apply against and what they apply against. And over and over again, you can see the people who are imposing them live by a completely different standard. They're destroying private property rights. They're destroying families. They're destroying neighborhoods. They're destroying lives. And they tell you it's your duty to self-destruct. It's your duty to go broke. It's your duty to go on welfare. It's your duty to take a handout. 
And those who resist are to be crushed. Now you, uh, you look beyond that. You look at this election. People are talking about systemic fraud. I believe there is systemic fraud. But even worse, there's systemic lawlessness. Systemic lawlessness, particularly by Democrat state courts, federal courts as well, Democrat governors, Democrat legislatures, Democrat secretaries of states, and Democrat bureaucrats who are destroying the safety valves and the protections that have been in place for God knows how long in every state to ensure that the purpose that the person who is voting is the person who is supposed to vote. You're not supposed to make it easy for people to vote. You're supposed to make it possible for people to vote as long as they go through certain requirements like everything else. With deadlines, with signatures, with identification. That's not asking too much. That's asking very little. In order to protect the franchise for the rest of the people. And yet we have a Democrat party that has as its purpose the destruction of the franchise while it claims to support the franchise. This is what they do with the Constitution and liberty. They destroy the Constitution while claiming to defend it. They destroy liberty while claiming to defend it. And of course they do it in the name of the people. We are heading towards the downside of the mountain. The American decline. That's why many of you and some of us are fighting still on this election front. Among other places. And you see, because it's been announced, proudly declared, that if the Democrats take the Senate by a bare majority, if they have 51 seats in the Senate, worse yet, They can't get 51 seats in the Senate. If they have 50 seats in the Senate as a result of this Georgia election, and Kamala Harris is the Senate uh, president pro tem voting to break the tie, 51 to 50, they have a mere, a meager majority in the House, and they have a man in the White House whose presidency is under serious question should he be eventually sworn in, and they will use... They will use the, the thinnest of majorities that they have to change the whole government. We've never seen anything like this before. The Speaker of the House talks about changing the entire judiciary. The minority leader in the Senate talks about changing the entire Supreme Court. Changing the legislative processes. Changing the electoral college. So so big swaths of America are not represented in Washington, D.C. Ever. And they're supported by Barack Obama. And they're supported by Joe Biden. This is the Democrat Party. Which has much in common throughout its history. Throughout its history. 
has much in common with tyrannical parties in different governments and with different ideologies. We have four Supreme Court justices who have now voted twice to eviscerate the First Amendment. In two respects, actually. To eviscerate religious liberty and freedom of assembly. Just follow the scientists, they tell us. Follow the scientists. Is that what the framers of the Constitution would say? Is that what the the ratifiers in the states would have said? Follow the scientists? These are God-given liberties. These are unalienable rights. Now, there can be some balance. But there's no balance now. None whatsoever. Tell me, what are the limits of these governors and these mayors? What are they? Where are they? Where can we find them? Nowhere. They have seized power, and they are in no mood to surrender it. They have seized power, and worse yet, they're aggressively expanding it. In the name of health, of course. Even though the mortality rate from this virus, quite frankly, is minuscule. Every life matters. Don't ask the, uh, it's a choice to kill your baby crowd, because for them, obviously, it doesn't. But it does for us. But when it comes to pandemics, and it comes to the mortality rate, the mortality rate in this case is, is minuscule. Now the nation, we're walking around with masks. We're social distancing, a new phrase we never heard of before. You go into a store, they have these, these places where you can stand as if you're an idiot, six feet apart. We have all the hand sanitizers. All of us are trying to follow the rules. But when it comes to life and death, when it comes to whether you survive or not, when it comes to losing everything you've worked for, when it comes to losing your job, and then they say, yes, yes, do that. It's the religious, excuse me, it's the patriotic thing to do. Remember World War I. Remember the Korean War. Remember World War II. What? What are they talking about? They've all but destroyed law enforcement in the inner cities. All but destroyed law enforcement in the inner cities. We have a massive movement of people in this country, and it's not even being noticed. It's not even being reported on. You have, over the course of this year, a million or two million people picking up their stakes and leaving certain cities in certain states for other cities in other states. It's like a great migration taking place in our country. It's a great migration. People are fleeing to freer states. They're fleeing to Texas. They're fleeing to Tennessee. They're fleeing to Florida. They're fleeing to other states. They can't get out of California and New York and New Jersey and these other states fast enough. These aren't governments of the people, by the people and for the people. And Joe Biden and the Democrat Party intend to impose exactly the same thing on the entirety of the country. And in order to do that, they have no intention of operating within the four corners of the law or the Constitution. They seek to change the four corners. The way they did it in state after state after state, 
during this election. Look at our schools. They're a disaster. We're still pouring hundreds and hundreds of billions of dollars into these schools, and our kids aren't even in these schools, or they're barely in these schools. Kids in fifth grade have a fourth grade now education. Kids in fourth grade have a third grade education. The lack of socializing, the psychological impact, the health impact. We've built this massive infrastructure. We've been told public education, don't defund it, pay the teachers. And look, at the snap of a finger, they shut it down. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Did you know your family can save over $800 a year just by switching to Pure Talk from Verizon, AT&T, and T-Mobile? Think about it. What could your family do with an extra $800? You don't even have to sacrifice coverage. Pure Talk has exactly the same coverage, same bars as one of the big carriers, but they charge you half. You definitely don't have to sacrifice customer service. Their team is based right here in the U.S. and are some of the nicest people you'll ever talk to. So don't wait anymore. Get unlimited talk, text, and two gigs of data for just 20 bucks a month. And if you go over on data usage, they don't charge you for it. No, not even a penny. So go to puretalkusa.com and enter promo code Levin Podcast. That's L-E-V-I-N Podcast. And when you do, you'll also save 50% off your first month. Folks, this is the best. That's puretalkusa.com, promo code Levin Podcast. Pure Talk USA, simply smarter wireless. This is the best of the Mark Levin Show. Happy New Year. Give this media Democrat Party alliance, and it is a vile alliance. It disarms the American people of actual information they need to have. And um, I think the alliance between the Democrat Party and the media today can be compared to the alliance of the Democrat Party and the media during Franklin Roosevelt's administration. And what happened then? What happened then? Tell me, did the media report much about the rise of the Third Reich and Adolf Hitler? No. Did the media report about the Nazis and the, uh, and the vast genocide that they were implementing? No. Franklin Roosevelt didn't want them to. Did our media report widely about the Interment of 120,000 Japanese Americans and Americans of Japanese. No, no, it was all necessary, they thought. The massive regulations, the massive redistribution of wealth, the illegal use of the FBI and the IRS against FDR's opponents. No. What do you see happening today with the media and Joe Biden and the Democrat Party? You see exactly the same thing. Exactly the same thing. And that means we're in serious danger. I've got a lot more to say. I'll be right back. This is Mark Levin wishing you a happy new year. Now back to the best of me. That man right there, the president of the United States, Donald Trump, he understood all this. Instinctively. Instinctively, he understood all this. Yet he came under attack and still does by the never-Trumpers, by what I call pseudo-conservatives. Who are so obsessed with their own hate. Who are so obsessed with their own narrative, with their own appearances, 
in their own social circles and by the news media. They've missed the big picture. And they're still missing the big picture. It's a disgrace. When I hear Joe Biden said, hey, people sacrificed World War I, World War II. Joe Biden has never sacrificed. His son Bo did, but he hasn't. When you look at our cities, ladies and gentlemen, when you look at our institutions under attack, economic institution, governing institution, they're hollowing out America. That's what they're doing. War? War on energy? The communist Chinese are laughing. They can't believe how stupid we are. You're going to unilaterally become energy dependent? We're going to follow John Kerry? Who doesn't know a thing about oil except what he puts in his own hair? Seriously? We've reached a point, we've reached a pinnacle where we're self-sufficient in energy, something that we've tried to do for half a century, and now we're going to unilaterally destroy ourselves? Anthony Fauci? Anthony Fauci's not Einstein. Who the hell is this guy? He's been in the bureaucracy his entire life. His entire life. He loves Joe Biden. He loves Hillary Clinton. He's a liberal Democrat. He's an authoritarian. That's what he is. Look around you. We have what I'll call scientific fascism taking place. And the autocrats who look for excuses to impose their will have found one as they live differently. They have no intention of living like us. Ever. Ever. We've exactly, God forbid if he's president, Biden's administration, exactly the wrong people in positions of power to confront China. Exactly the wrong people. While China is on the ascendancy and we're on the decline. Exactly the wrong people who continue to want to hollow out our country. To redistribute power and wealth from the private sector to Washington, D.C. Who believe in quote-unquote globalism. I don't even know what that means, globalism. What happened to Americanism? I'm not opposed to international relations. But I am opposed to surrendering American sovereignty. I wrote it way back in Liberty and Tyranny. And Donald Trump was confronting China economically, militarily, and in every other way. And yet these pseudo-conservatives, they just disgust me. Look at this, the National Pulse. Biden camp refuses to rebuke China for U.S. intel report revealing influence campaign targeting transition. There's not even any talk about this. No talk whatsoever. No concerns on Capitol Hill Adam Schiff has crawled back into a slimy hole. Washington Examiner. Joe Biden's national security picks are great news for China. They're all China appeasers. Free Beacon. Biden education lead. That is the person likely to be education secretary. Chinese Communist Party has done magical work in education. 
and Powered Educators, How High-Performing Systems Shape Teaching Quality Around the World. She explained the centrality of the teacher to Chinese students' lives. And then, of course, there's Joe Biden himself, a lifetime of appeasing the communist Chinese. And his familial corruption is beyond belief. But no, 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 we're not going to report on that. Exactly the wrong man, exactly the wrong people, at exactly the wrong time in American history. I fear for us, I really do. 1,000 Chinese researchers, 1,000 plus Chinese researchers have left the United States amid tech theft crackdown. That is cracked down by the Trump administration. 1,000! They're the enemy. They've infiltrated our society. They've stolen our technology. They're building up their military where it'll be second to none. While we have Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer and and possibly Joe Biden, are you kidding me? And we have these, these lousy generals in these positions. We had Mattis and the rest of them. China just took Hong Kong. Two blinks and it's gone. They intend to take Taiwan. They're threatening Japan. They're threatening Vietnam. They're threatening the Philippines. They put up these fake islands. No, don't worry. We're just using them because, you know, we're setting up a club. You know, like the ones you see on TV with the couples. Yeah, we're just setting up a club, like militarizing the South China Sea. Where five to six trillion dollars in goods flow every year. Take over the South China Sea, you control the Pacific. And then these so called intelligentsia, which is typically pretty damn stupid. Like this clown Thomas Friedman. This clown Thomas Friedman has had a free ride for a long, long time. They've been handing him Pulitzer Prizes. Like popcorn. But that's okay. Walter Durant, he got a Pulitzer Prize too. Over a hundred years ago. And he was Stalin's mouthpiece. And he wrote for the same pathetic, disgusting newspaper, the New York Times. Our friends at the Media Research Center. And they listen to this clown. Thomas Friedman again praises communist China for getting things done. And that's why they don't oppose... Destroying the Supreme Court. Of course, John Roberts is destroying it for them. But you get my point. Or destroying the filibuster rule. Or packing the Senate. Or destroying the... We just want to get things done. Now, they really don't want to get things done. They want to impose their will on us. Columnist Thomas Friedman. Again, showed a disturbing affection for China's dictatorship. Attacking Republican stubbornness on health care and climate change legislation... It's a few years back. Freeman pleased for enlightened autocrats, able to get things accomplished against the will of the people for their own good. One-party autocracy certainly has its drawbacks, he wrote back in 2009. But when it's led by a reasonably enlightened group of people, as China is today, it can also have great advantages. This buffoon was talking about Xi, who's rounded up 2 million Uyghurs, a.k.a. Muslims. And I hear nothing from the Muslim community in this country. 
Nothing from the Muslim community around the world. Nothing. That one party can just impose the politically difficult but critically important policies needed to move a society forward in the 21st century. And that's what they want. They want a Democrat party modeled on an autocratic party. This is what I keep telling you. Says our one-party democracy is worse. The fact is, on both the energy, climate legislation, and healthcare legislation, only the Democrats are really playing, and he goes on. That's what he means by globalism, I guess. Shocking. And this view is held in major newsrooms all over the country. All over the country. And the pseudo-conservatives and never-Trumpers, what are they doing? They attack the President of the United States. Who has actually been doing a lot to confront communist China, Islamo-Nazi Iran, They talk about, look at this, he's surrendering here, he's surrendering there. He's confronting the real and the big issues we have internationally. And you'll see the opposite, God forbid, if Biden's in there. Sure, sure, sure. Afghanistan and all the rest of it, he'll be big on that. But when it comes to China, he'll fold like a cheap chair. When it comes to Iran, he intends to fund them, actually fund them. I'll be right back. Mark Levin. Did you know your family can save over $800 a year just by switching to Pure Talk from Verizon, AT&T, and T-Mobile? Think about it. What could your family do with an extra $800? You don't even have to sacrifice coverage. Pure Talk has exactly the same coverage, same bars as one of the big carriers, but they charge you half. You definitely don't have to sacrifice customer service. Their team is based right here in the U.S. and are some of the nicest people you'll ever talk to. So don't wait anymore. Get unlimited talk, text, and two gigs of data for just 20 bucks a month. And if you go over on data usage, they don't charge you for it. No, not even a penny. So go to puretalkusa.com, enter promo code Levin Podcast. That's L-E-V-I-N Podcast. And when you do, you'll also save 50% off your first month. Folks, this is the best. That's puretalkusa.com, promo code Levin Podcast. Pure Talk USA, simply smarter wireless. This is the best of the Mark Levin Show. Happy New Year. The uh, Director of National Intelligence is John Ratcliffe. And I want you to hear what he had to say yesterday on CBS, Catherine Herridge, who is a real journalist. It's only a minute. But it's something I think you need to listen to. Cut one, go. Talk about the earliest days of the pandemic. Does the intelligence show that the Chinese president made the call to minimize the threat of COVID-19? The intelligence shows that the Chinese Communist Party's senior leaders, including President Xi, were aware and lied to the rest of the world about what they knew and when they knew it about COVID-19. They made the conscious decision to shut down their economy, to shut down their country, travel in and out of Wuhan, where this originated, but they allowed travel from Wuhan to the rest of the world. They knew that, and they've taken advantage of that. What does the intelligence show about foreign efforts to steal COVID-19 vaccine research? 
Well, so that's, um, you know, adding insult to injury. It shows that uh, China is attempting to, has been attempting to um, access um, our research into COVID-19. So the pandemic that was created by China's actions, um, they've attempted to steal our research. And I want you to remember that period of time when the president called it the China virus and people were calling it, me included, the Wuhan China virus, and they said that was racist. Because the Democrat Party and our media are defending communist China. And when they're not defending communist China, they're ignoring communist China. This is what I'm talking about, the decline of America. What's going on in our schools, what's going on in our entertainment world, Hollywood and so forth, what's happening on the Internet. Our news media are gone, as I wrote about in Unfreedom of the Press, and have talked about for years. The Democrat Party is a party that believes in autocracy. It always has. It's never really embraced Americanism. Tell me when and how. They run against America. Because obviously America is such a horrific place, it's such a racist place, it's such an unequal place. Only billionaires do well in America, and on and on and on. They talk out of one side of their mouth to certain people, and then they talk out of the other side of their mouth to other people. It's all about power. But they continue to tear down this magnificent country. While the enemy is on the rise. China is the enemy. They're not an adversary, they're the enemy. They're ascending. And we're declining. I felt very strongly that the President of the United States, Donald Trump, was confronting this. He saw it. He called them out early on. And he's been dealing with it, whether it's economically or militarily, geopolitically. What did Biden do for eight years and Obama? Well, there's going to be more of the same. And unfortunately, four years and eight years of this They're going to leave us behind in the dust. And you might say, Mark, how can you talk about America this way? I'm not talking about America this way. I'm talking about the people who seek to control the governing instrumentalities of this country that way. Look at these governors. Look at these mayors. Look at these school districts. Look at these school districts that are controlled by by the insane teachers' union which isn't even there to educate our kids. They're there to represent their employees. That's it. We have a, I have a, you know, I, I was starting to look with all these restaurants going. I went back and I looked. 100,000 restaurants have closed in the last six months during the pandemic. 100,000 restaurants. And many of them are never going to open again. Many of them are never going to open again. And Joe Biden says you're not sacrificing enough. See, remember World War I, which I'm sure he doesn't. You're just not sacrificing enough. Come on, 100 days of masks. Just hunker down. Mr. Fauci will never give up his pension. He'll never give up his medical care and he'll never give up his salary. I guarantee it. From the Westwood One Podcast Network. He's here. 
is here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. You're listening to the best of the Mark Levin Show. Hello, America. Mark Levin here. Our number... 877-381-3811. 877-381-3811. One more on this China issue, but this will be a uh, a constant on this program over the course of time. I don't mean by that every single day, but we're going to be focusing a lot on this. I've done a lot of Levin TV on the issue of China on the Fox News uh, channel. You'll recall I took... Uh, uh, the lead on this in many respects uh, when I began Life, Liberty, and Levin, and it's something I I want us to focus on because it's a big problem. Jake Tapper interviewed Joe Biden yesterday. It was disgusting. Jake Tapper was smiling the whole time, and everybody knows Jake Tapper has a permanent constipated look on his face, but no, he's a Biden guy. And let me tell you why he's a Biden guy. Jake Tapper grew up in the township right next to mine. He grew up in Abington. I grew up in Cheltenham, and he was always—he he was always—he's a Democrat. He worked for Marjorie Margolis Mezvinsky. You may remember her. Worked for Handgun Control Inc. Um, and so Biden was the senator right next door. So he's a big Biden guy. The things he said about Trump were so outrageous, and now we know why because he was a lackey for Jeff Motherzucker. But Biden's asked about Trump's approach approach to China, and here's what he says. Cut three, go. The president's approach to China has been backwards. My concern from the beginning, I've spoke about it, and I met with Xi more times than anybody had up until the time we left office that I'm aware of, is to make it real clear to China. There are international rules that if you want to play by, we'll play with you. If you don't, we're not going to play. Number one. Number two. Now, let's not- just stop. What, what in the world does that let's stop? What in the world does that mean? This guy always talks in these platitudes. What in the world does that mean? And we all know that never happened. He met with Xi more than anybody else. So that's almost a confession. And what did we get? Militarized fake islands in the South China Sea. Stealing our technology. Stealing our technology. Undercutting our economy by constantly devaluing their currency. Constantly devaluing their currency. See, nobody wants to hold currency that's quote-unquote overvalued because you can buy less with it. So they would devalue their currency so they could buy more. Effectively with less money. And they did that to undermine us. Go ahead. Punishing them for the COVID virus. It's about insisting that there be international norms that are established that they play by. Okay, that, again, I want you to remember the Third Reich. I want you to remember FDR insisting on international norms. Is that, is that what China is going to uh, care about? Is that what Iran cares about? I'm telling you, we're in trouble. In so many ways, but we're in trouble. And China... China knows how to manipulate this guy. Remember, they wanted this guy to be elected. And there won't be a single investigation into this. But they wanted Biden 
And they're thrilled, just like the Palestinians wanted Biden, they're thrilled. Just like the Cubans wanted Biden, they're thrilled. For all the talk about Trump coddling up the dictators, Trump did not coddle up the dictators. He dealt with them, and he tried to deal with them on a personal level. Biden is an appeaser. He's a Neville Chamberlain. And unfortunately, history repeats itself. And I want you to listen. I'm putting my marker down right now. It's not about me. I want you to listen. I'm putting my marker down right now. This is a turning point and not a good one. And if they win those two Senate seats, we're in deep jello. We really are. And I'm not even going to play any more of this. He doesn't, it's irrational. He's incoherent, but it doesn't matter. All right, I want to move on to a couple of other subjects. We only have three hours here. Something very interesting happening. I think the most important case right now in terms of the litigation in Pennsylvania is the case that was not brought by the Trump campaign. It's a case that was brought by Congressman Mike Kelly, by candidate Sean Parnell, and six other brave souls. And every night, I'm not going to go into the details, but I want to strongly, strongly encourage you to watch my Fox show on Sunday at 8 p.m. Eastern. I know you're going to really want to watch this one. If you can't watch it, at least DVR it. I think we're very lucky. I hope we are. To have Associate Justice Alito as the lead justice in the, uh, in the states that, that, that include Pennsylvania. Because if you had some of these other justices, Roberts, uh, certainly any of the leftists, there would be no hope whatsoever. I'm hoping there is hope here. And what took place in Pennsylvania was an outrage. And the question is whether states can break their own laws, courts can violate their own rules, and whether together they can violate the federal United States Constitution in order to influence the outcome of a presidential election because they know that the Supreme Court's going to sit on its butt, collect a butt. Because they know the Supreme Court won't intercede. But I get the sense that Justice Alito's onto this. I get the sense that he's really looking at this. I hope I'm right. I don't know. But he's taken steps that suggest it. And what you'll hear by Ed Morrissey, a very bright guy, over at Hot Air and others is, now wait a minute, wait, wait, wait a minute. We're in this safe harbor period. It's December 9th. If they don't issue a decision by December 9th, it's, it's pointless. It's useless. Now, of course, that's absurd. Even though the states, most of them will certify by then. Nobody knows what Sam Alito or the Supreme Court will do, but everybody knows how this works, I hope. That in the end, it's Congress that selects the President of the United States by counting the electors from the different states. That's the Electoral College process. In our history, Not often, but from time to time. Congress has not accepted electors from certain states, or they've been challenged from certain states. That's what I think is going on here. That doesn't mean Donald Trump's going to become president of the United States. It means this is a very serious and substantive constitutional issue. 
It has nothing to do with the safe harbor. Nothing. Nor is the Supreme Court bound by the safe harbor either. So our friend Professor William Jacobson over at Legal Insurrection, he's taken another look at this, second look. He says, Pennsylvania, don't assume Alito giving up until 12-9 to respond to emergency application means he's letting it die on the vine. On December 1, 2020, he says, we covered an emergency application for injunctive relief, sought to halt any further actions by Pennsylvania to certify the election. Another emergency application, substantially similar, was filed yesterday, December 3rd. That made no sense to me. Why would they file twice? Well, I knew why they filed twice. Because they wanted to, to dot their I's and cross their T's. And they went back to the state Supreme Court for, for uh, basically reconsideration as a procedural matter. And within seconds, it seems, the state Supreme Court denied it. In other words, they sought a stay so they could appeal to the Supreme Court, and that court denied it. That's how corrupt intellectually and politically that court is. No, we're not staying it. So the court did as expected, the state Supreme Court, and denied it. And so they appealed today to the U.S. Supreme Court. And as I say, Alito covers this area of the states. It's called the Third Circuit, but it includes Pennsylvania. And uh, Professor Jacobson writes, there's a lot of chatter at such a long period of time because he's given the respondents, really the Attorney General of Pennsylvania, he's another left-wing kook, he's given them several days to reply. Wednesday, uh, Wednesday December 9, 4 p.m., everybody's saying... Well, that's it, because the safe harbor is on the 9th, so that means the Supreme Court can't do anything. Now, stop a second. Ask yourselves a question. Is it possible that Sam Alito and the court will do nothing after all this? It's possible, but why would they go through this, Mr. Producer, to get to a nothing burger? They can ignore it altogether. So the, your, your brain has to kick into gear, and you have to say, okay, what might be up? We don't know exactly, but what might be up? Professor Jacobson says, there's a lot of chatter that such a long period of time under the circumstances must be a way for Alito to let the application die on the vine, that the application would be moot, or otherwise pushing it off to make meaningful relief impossible. So certainly we can't read Alito's mind, but there's anyone on the Supreme Court I don't worry about playing such games. It's Alito and Thomas. He says, too early to tell for Gorsuch, Kavanaugh, or Barrett. I agree. So Jacobson looks at this. He says, well, let me, let me take a crack at this. He says, in my mind-reading exercise, Alito giving the respondents enough time to fully prepare opposition likely means he and some other justices take the matter seriously and plan to rule on the merits once the opposition is submitted, rather than limiting their ruling to emergency injunctive relief. Now, he could be right, he could be wrong, but we're reading tea leaves. They could treat the emergency application as a petition for certiorari, accept it, and rule substantively. The few days gives the justice enough time to prepare their respective opinions. It's not like they really need briefs from the respondents to know the counterarguments. That's right, we all know what the counterarguments are. 
What the ultimate merits ruling would, would be remains to be seen. In my prior post, he says I was very pessimistic that the Supreme Court would take the case or rule in a way that would change the state result. That's not to say that what the Pennsylvania Supreme Court did was right. It wasn't. And that court has acted more like a litigant uh, throughout this process. Mark Levin's Landmark Legal Foundation has filed an amicus laying out the defects with the Pennsylvania Supreme Court ruling. Now, I would love to take the credit. I'm the chairman of Landmark Legal, but our president did that, Pete Hutchison. But yes, Landmark has filed a brief in that case. Says the issue I keep coming back to is what is the remedy? The Supreme Court could rule that the non-absentee mail-in votes were unlawful and order the Pennsylvania certify the vote and appoint electors based on the lawful vote only. He says that seems to the only remedy that works under the timeline for selecting the Electoral College. Kicking the matter over to the Pennsylvania legislature to select electors could be an alternative, though less timely, but again, it would require disqualifying mail-in vote as unlawful. Would the Supreme Court take such a step? It would mean that millions of voters who honestly thought they were lawfully voting would not have their votes counted. Don't think for a second that the justices don't understand the political implications or are not sensitive to them. Says, we'll find out. No, I I think what they're going to do, well, they can do a number of things. If I were a justice, let me put it to you this way. I would rule on the merits of the case. I clearly find what Pennsylvania did is unconstitutional, unless, unless now we're going to open Pandora's box and all these, these states are going to run wild, violate their own constitutions, put all kinds of weird conditions in, and, and there'll be no end to this, and there'll be no left of the integrity of the election. But everybody knows that when Pennsylvania changed their voting rules in October 2019, it was directed at the Electoral College. And everybody knows that what the Secretary of State and the Governor did by fiat and what the Supreme Court there, controlled by Radical Democrats, did by fiat violated Article 2 of the Constitution. But even more, it violated the Pennsylvania State Constitution. Well, where's the federal question? The federal question? This is all about selecting electors for the President and Vice President of the United States, in some ways much like the Bush versus Gore decision. It's not a federalism issue. It's not a federalism issue at all. Otherwise, what's the point of Article 2? So I would rule on the merits. I rule that, in fact, Act 77 was intended and did, in fact, contravene the the state constitution, and in doing so, really all elements of the state, the state legislature, the executive branch, and the court, even though they're at odds with each other, effectively what they did was violate the manner in which electors are to be chosen. In other words, these electors are going to go, these electors leave their state presence, and they I don't mean personally, I mean the votes. And they become relevant at the federal level. They become relevant in every way. The Electoral College is the means by which we choose a president and a vice president. If there was ever a federal question, this is the federal question. Plenary power 
is broad. But it's not so broad as to be illegal. It's not so broad as to poison the pool of electors. That can't be the case. Nobody believes that when the framers came up with this, and particularly when the, when the ratifiers and the conventions ratified it, that they ever dreamed of, yeah, yeah, plenary power means we can violate our own constitutions. Of course not. When we come back, there's an interesting letter that was sent by 76 members of the state legislature in Pennsylvania to members of Congress. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, is one of the fastest growing organizations in America. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, and I'm one of them. AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we constitutional conservatives care about. More than talk, AMAC fights. A full-time presence in Washington, AMAC pushes back against reckless spending, disasters like Medicare for All, and the expanding reach of the federal government. And beyond advocacy, joining AMAC gives you access to a wealth of benefits and discounts, including special member-only rates on car insurance, travel discounts, cell phone plans, and a hell of a lot more. And if that's not enough, you'll get AMAC's bi-monthly magazine full of insightful articles on issues that matter to most of us, we conservatives. As I said, I'm an AMAC member, and you should be too. Join today at amac.us. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S. Stop supporting the liberal agenda that the other 50-plus organization has been pushing for. Join AMAC instead. A-M-A-C dot U-S. This is the best of the Mark Levin Show. Happy New Year. Not enough time to read this letter till after the break, but uh, open your mic, Rich. So I posted uh, the video of what took place with these suitcases and the ballots, and now the state says, no, 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 these aren't suitcases. These are, these are containers we normally use, and everything was fine. And so Facebook attacked me again. What happened, Rich? Facebook said you are a fake news that poll watchers were not told to leave in Georgia. And the suitcases are not pulled from under the table, and they restricted your Facebook uh, page. So they restricted my Facebook page, meaning they don't send out any information to all of you following me on Facebook of anything I'm posting. You just have to go to Facebook yourself. Correct. And this is what Facebook has been doing, right, Rich? Yep. They've been hitting you almost every day, every other day. We're hit every day, every other day. There's always some kind of statement that's made. We're being targeted. For Mediate and all the other clowns out there is following. Oh, he's not leaving. I've said we're leaving Facebook on December 31. Why am I not leaving Twitter? Because Twitter hasn't done anything to me. If that time comes, we will leave. So, so what the media are doing now is now they're trashing Parler. Because they know that's where people who truly believe in free speech are headed. But Facebook doesn't treat... Islamo uh, uh, Nazis from Iran this way. It doesn't treat communists in China this way. So we're going to leave. AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, is one of the fastest growing organizations in America. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, and I'm one of them. AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we constitutional conservatives care about. 
More than talk, AMAC fights. A full-time presence in Washington, AMAC pushes back against reckless spending, disasters like Medicare for All, and the expanding reach of the federal government. And beyond advocacy, joining AMAC gives you access to a wealth of benefits and discounts, including special member-only rates on car insurance, travel discounts, cell phone plans, and a hell of a lot more. And if that's not enough, you'll get AMAC's bi-monthly magazine full of insightful articles on issues that matter to most of us, we conservatives. As I said, I'm an AMAC member, and you should be too. Join today at amac.us. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S. Stop supporting the liberal agenda that the other 50-plus organization has been pushing for. Join AMAC instead. A-M-A-C dot U-S. This is Mark Levin wishing you a happy new year. Now back to the best of me. Today, December 4th. You know, December 4th, nine years ago, I'm going to read you this letter from the 76 members of the Pennsylvania Assembly. December 4th, nine years ago, I adopted Barney. Now that I mention it, let me tell you about this. I wasn't ready to adopt a dog. We'd lost our beloved Pepsi six months before. We had Pepsi when he was a puppy. My daughter was 10. My son was 7 when we, when we got him. He was so smart, so wonderful, so beautiful. And uh, he was doing okay. He'd, he was almost 12 years old. And um, he had some issues. And his, uh, his lungs filled up a bit with liquid, with fluid. And when the folks went to uh, drain one of his lungs, Mr. Producer, they punctured his lung. So he died. I didn't get over that very easily. But it was... He passed away in that May, and about six months later, I went to a lost dog and cat uh, adoption event, which they had every weekend at the time, <clears throat> at a PetSmart or a Petco. I went with my buddy, Eric, and we went there. There are beautiful dogs there. I was encouraging people to adopt them. I don't know why I was there, other than to help out. Certainly had no intention of adopting a dog. There was this little white dog. Couldn't tell what he was exactly. Certainly wasn't a purebred. Certainly wasn't a puppy. Looked a little scroungy. My buddy Eric got on the floor with him and played with him, and he was so friendly. I got on the floor and played with him. Eric wanted to adopt him, but he already had 28 dogs. I'm just kidding. He already had three dogs. I grew up with Eric when we were little kids. Eric's like a brother to the family and me. And I held the dog and I said to the lady who founded Lost Dog and Cat, her name's Pam, she's an angel. I said, tell me about this dog. She said, we've had him over a month. Nobody's really looking at him that much. I said, where did he come from? Well, we don't know much about his owner except that The owner dropped him off at one of the kill shelters in Stafford County, Virginia, which is horrific. 
we happened to send one of our vans down there to rescue seven dogs there, and he was one of them. Can you imagine? He's about two years old. His owner drops him off. He doesn't know what's going on. For four and a half weeks, he's being driven in the truck. He's in a cage, back and forth to adoption thing. Poor thing had no idea what the hell was going on. And so I left there. That's not right. I gave her enough money. I said, give him a new hairdo. Give him a new cut. Somebody will adopt him. Just change it. And they did. I kept thinking about that dog. Nobody wants him. The hell he's gone through. Thought about him one day, the next day. The third day I called Pam and I said, is is that dog adopted? She said, no. I said, I'll take that dog. She said, wow, what a lucky dog. I said, no, 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 no. What a lucky me. So on December 4th, nine years ago, my buddy Eric and I went to the vet where he'd been, you know, I gave him his shots and everything before we got him. <clears throat> I brought him home. He wasn't sure what to make of things, but when I put him down, he was running around the house like he owned the place. And that night I had bought a little dog bed for him. I put it next to my bed. And I put him in the little dog bed. And he jumped on my bed. And snuggled up right next to me. I said, all right. Then that's the way we'll have it. You'll sleep with me. I called the kids. I said, what should we name this dog? They, you know, the lost dog and cat, they just gave him a name, Roscoe. I didn't much like that name. He was about 17 pounds. He was too thin. No Levin dogs get thin, I can tell you that. I tried a bunch of names, and I said to them, Barney, Barney, he's Barney. And that was Barney. All right, let me get to this letter here from these uh, about 76 members of the uh, Pennsylvania legislature. It's an extraordinary letter, really. It's dated today. And I want to read this to you, because this is very interesting, and it should be taken up by other members of the House and the Senate. Dear Senators and Representatives, in 2019, the Pennsylvania General Assembly enacted comprehensive changes to our Commonwealth's election code. And by the way, I argue, first principles, that was unconstitutional what they did. But let's move on. These changes both expanded voting access by permitting no-excuse mail-in ballots while also implementing reasonable safeguards to ensure that this new system would be secure, transparent, and would ensure that all Americans could have confidence in Pennsylvania's election results. These changes received bipartisan support, including the signature of Governor Tom Wolf, a Democrat. Unfortunately, Governor Wolf and others quickly set about undermining the many protections provided under this law, in particular. Number one, the Pennsylvania Election Code requires that all mail-in ballots be received by 8 p.m. on Election Day. 
Governor Wolf ordered that this statutory deadline be waived in some counties during the primary election, then sought its waiver statewide for the general election. Pennsylvania Election Code prohibits counties from inspecting ballots prior to 7 a.m. on Election Day. Pennsylvania's Secretary of State issued guidance encouraging counties to ignore this prohibition to inspect ballots and to contact voters with deficient ballots prior to Election Day. By the way, she only did that for Democrat counties. Number three, the Pennsylvania Election Code prohibits the counting of defective absentee or mail-in ballots. Encouraged by the Department of State, some county boards of elections ignored this prohibition and have proceeded to include thousands of defective ballots in the certified count. Number four, the Pennsylvania Election Code authorizes poll watchers to be selected by candidates and political parties and to observe the process of pre-canvassing and canvassing absentee and mail-in ballots. Certain counties in Pennsylvania prohibited these authorized individuals from meaningfully observing the pre-canvassing and canvassing activities. Three, United States Code Section 15 empowers Congress to reject electoral votes that are not regularly given or lawfully certified. The aforementioned conduct has undermined the lawful certification of Pennsylvania's delegation to the Electoral College. Listen to this. For these reasons, we, the undersigned members of the Pennsylvania General Assembly, urge you to object and vote to sustain such objection to the Electoral College votes received from the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania during the joint session of Congress on January 6, 2021. Now, perhaps this has happened in the past, Mr. Producer. I'm unaware of it. Every one of those issues they mentioned was challenged, went to the Supreme Court of Pennsylvania, which upheld every one of these changes to the Pennsylvania election law, and they added their own changes. They added their own changes. So there are, at, there, there are actually several violations of the Pennsylvania Constitution. And if you're going to act lawlessly in the selection of electors, then it is, it is absolutely outrageous to expect that taint, that poison, to pour into the federal system when we're selecting a president and a vice president. That's why it is absolutely required that the Supreme Court of the United States, if it's ever going to exercise judicial review, you know, it exercises judicial review where it really shouldn't in many cases. But here, when the whole process is put together for the purpose of selecting a president and a vice president, it says, well, that's a state Supreme Court issue. Sure as hell isn't. Not solely. It's a big deal. And if the Supreme Court gets this wrong, takes a pass, or worse yet, rules against the petitioner, man, oh, man, the door to lawlessness is going to be open, and the Electoral College will never be the same again. And who's going to suffer? You're going to suffer. You're not going to trust the system ever. The Supreme Court of Pennsylvania, uh, the United States in 2000 did what it had to do when it had a rogue court. And now 20 years later, it needs to do it again. Unfortunately, it was led by a fantastic justice by the name of William Rehnquist. Today, it's led by Mr. Hollywood. John Roberts. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin.
AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, is one of the fastest growing organizations in America. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, and I'm one of them. AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we constitutional conservatives care about. More than talk, AMAC fights. A full-time presence in Washington, AMAC pushes back against reckless spending, disasters like Medicare for All, and the expanding reach of the federal government. And beyond advocacy, joining AMAC gives you access to a wealth of benefits and discounts, including special member-only rates on car insurance, travel discounts, cell phone plans, and a hell of a lot more. And if that's not enough, you'll get AMAC's bi-monthly magazine, full of insightful articles on issues that matter to most of us, we conservatives. As I said, I'm an AMAC member, and you should be too. Join today at amac.us. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S. Stop supporting the liberal agenda that the other 50-plus organization has been pushing for. Join AMAC instead. A-M-A-C dot U-S. You're listening to the best of the Mark Levin Show. Happy New Year. I can't wait till we drop Facebook, Mr. Producer. Now, why are we hanging around Facebook? To alert all of you. You better come over and join us at Parlor. We'll still be at Twitter for now until they start with their attacks. You just go to, uh, go to the Parlor site. And what is it, Mr. Producer, again? It's uh, at Mark Levin Show. At Mark Levin Show. Some of you are are uh, concerned about the ability to uh, to actually use the site and so forth. Yeah, there's there's certain little kinks they're working out, but but they are working them out, and there are over 4 million of you now over there. We only have like 1.65 million on Facebook, right? I think they've been... Facebook has kept our numbers down on Facebook for years, haven't they, Rich? Really outrageous. It's such a corrupt company. Zuckerberg is so corrupt the way he tried to influence the election. All There really needs to be a thorough investigation of that bastard. These guys are the new robber barons. At least the old robber barons produce something, you know, like food, energy, automobiles. What do these guys produce? Propaganda, censorship. They lied their way into their billions. They use your data without your permission. They know all about your personal lives. Who are these disgusting pukes? And then they backhandedly, Christian and Adams had a good piece at at PJ Media the other day. And how this guy Zuckerberg influenced the uh, the votes in these various precincts in the inner city and so forth. He's, he's disgusting. Nancy Pelosi at a press conference today. Cut seven, go. Well, months ago, when you said, I'm not going to accept half a loaf. Let me tell you something. No, don't, don't characterize what we did before as a mistake, as a preface to your question, if you want an answer. That was not a mistake. It was a decision, and it has taken us to a place where we can do the right thing without other... What is she talking about? What is Eva Pelosi talking about? First of all, that's Manu Rajo at CNN. She slapped his little ass down. They don't mind that when she does it. They don't mind it when she does. He doesn't talk back to her, does he? No. You know what she's saying there? These relief packages? She purposely waited. She wanted to wait. She was hoping to get a new president. She said that was not a mistake. It was a decision. These are cold-hearted people, ladies and gentlemen. They want you to think they care about you. They don't give a crap about you. I'll be right back. 
from the Westwood One Podcast Network. 